Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. Our mission at the Ambassadors Forum is to be able to equip you to answer life's hard questions. We are Christians and we make God known as he is. What we do, we see a need for apologetics in the world in the United States currently. We see a need for apologetics thinking. So we met the need and started the Ambassadors Forum. I fully admit we are not professionals. We are lay people. We are engineers. We are in management. We work in health administration. We are delivery drivers. We are housewives. We work our normal jobs. And then we talk to folks about Jesus Christ as he is. We do this radio show that you're listening to right now. We do something like a lecture once a month, our Friday night series. We do conferences once a year in the fall. You can find us at theambassadorsforum.com. Coming up in July, my friend and fellow ambassador Brian Overholt will be talking about a topic. It's commonly called critical theory. The writer at the New York Times, Ross Douthat, refers to it as what's next, the next progressive worldview. I heard Brian Overholt talk about this. It's phenomenal. It's very, very good. I heard his rough draft, and he shows very clearly how modern critical social justice grew from Hegel and Hegelian dialectic up through Karl Marx to Antonio Gramsci up to today. And you might think, well, that sounds very esoteric or weird, or that's something for philosophy majors and eggheads and people who just sit around talking about things that don't ultimately matter. I don't need to know this. I can explain Jesus to folks without this. If that's what you're thinking, I'm here to tell you, as somebody who has heard what Brian's going to say in July, on July 16th at theambassadorsforum.com, I've heard it and it's phenomenal. It changed how I understood many ways of thinking and the way folks strategically present their ideas and how to engage those ideas. It is wonderful. In August, I will be talking about how to explain God's justice in the Old Testament, specifically when it comes to Old Testament genocide and mass killings. I hear a lot of people say they can't believe in the Christian God because in the Old Testament, he just slaughters whole groups of people. And if he was good, he wouldn't do that because I'm good and I wouldn't do that. And the good people I know wouldn't do that. We can't say that God is good and then say that, yes, but he slaughtered the Amalekites and the Midianites and everybody at the flood. I understand where these folks are coming from, and I understand why they would say that. As Christians, when we hear this objection, we may be tempted to avoid the question, or the question itself might be so difficult and so challenging that it causes us to reconsider our trust in God. But there are great answers to why God kills whole groups of people in the Old Testament. Great answers, true answers, and I'll be sharing those answers next month in August. Again, to hear that, go to theambassadorsforum.com. Those of you who listen regularly may be saying, wait a second, you sound different. You don't sound like that guy that's normally here, Roy, Roy Swart. I am different. I am not Roy Swart. I'm just like Roy Swart, but twice as tall, probably four times as handsome, maybe five times. Roy Swart would beat me in a beard or mustache contest since I'm clean shaven. I moved here to the Northwest 23 years ago with my wife, who is from the Northwest, from the Portland area. We have four kids, two grandkids, and we have the two cutest dogs in the world, what is the topic for today? Let me set it up for you. Today's topic is a little bit different and it's coming from, well, I would say it's coming from left field, but really it's coming from right field. In apologetics, we often spend time talking to folks who don't believe in the existence of God, or they're not sure about the existence of God, or we spend our time preparing to talk to folks who believe in a different concept of God, Hindus, folks who are in the LDS, Latter-day Saints Church, folks who are members of the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
or we prepare to talk to folks who have modern, more progressive ideas. And we prepare, we study those ideas, we learn how to engage them, how to listen to them and deconstruct them so that we could present God as he is through the Bible. Today, I wanted to talk about wrong ideas, non-Christian ideas that are not from the left side of modern American thought, but from the right side of modern American thought. Modern American Christianity is very much tied up in the cultural right, the philosophical right, political right. And if we're not careful, we can develop blind spots to wrong thinking and wrong ideas that draw folks away from Jesus and from God as he is, just as much as ideas from the left side. What are those ideas? What are those wrong ideas from the right? Well, let's break them down. First one I want to talk about is libertarianism. What is libertarianism? You may have heard the term. Some of you might be a little familiar. Some of you might be very familiar. Libertarianism, if I had to dilute it down to a couple sentences, would be the idea that above all things, we prize human freedom. Human freedom is the highest ethic. It is of the highest value. And that when people make free choices, that is in and of itself virtuous. The only ethic is that you can't inhibit somebody else's freedom. Freedom itself is great. It is what we should strive for. It's what we value above all things. And any free choice is great as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Libertarianism emanates from the works of mostly Ayn Rand, a Russian author who back in the 20th century wrote a few books, some of which are very famous. One is called The Fountainhead and even more famous is called Atlas Shrugged. In these novels, she shares her ideas, what she calls objectivism, her life philosophy. And a lot, not all, but a lot of libertarianism nowadays flows from Ayn Rand's objectivism. Ayn Rand was right about a few things, but wrong about a few other things too. She was not a Christian. She was in fact an atheist, did not support the idea of God, did not appreciate people who believed in God, let alone the God of the Bible. Libertarianism is often thought of as a political idea, and it is. And today I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you to vote libertarian or not vote libertarian. I'm not going to tell you if their politics are right or wrong. In apologetics, what we like to do is we like to get to the root of the issue. What is the foundational value judgment and value statement being made by a particular philosophy? And I want to get to that. Very simply, the libertarian idea that human freedom is the highest value is not a Christian one. You might apply that to politics. And in politics, I understand why that would be a right value judgment to make. But ultimately, God made the world and he didn't say that the highest value is freedom. God has his own ethical system. God is the ethical lawgiver. He's the ethical law enforcer. He is the ethical law communicator. And he didn't present his ideas as Ayn Rand does. God doesn't say that anything's okay as long as nobody gets hurt. That's what Ayn Rand says. For example, in the Bible, we Christians are told to worship on Sunday. If we worship on Wednesday, I don't see how that would bring any acute harm, any perceptible harm to anybody. But yet we're called to worship God to make the Lord's Day on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's an example of an ethical command by God that goes past Ayn Rand's freedom-based libertarianism and her objectivism. Another one, God tells us to worship him. If we all immediately stopped worshiping God, I don't see how there would be perceptible harm, immediate and acute, but yet God tells us to do it. God values more than just our freedom. He values us living in congruity with the morals that he has set. 
here's an example of a libertarian idea gone wrong, gone unbiblical, gone outside the bounds of what God has set. Libertarians often prize the free market, as do I. There's lots of historical and data-based reasons that we all should, but sometimes they will make a god out of it. They can exalt it and make it very much an idol. The libertarian philosopher Murray Rothbard loved the free market so much that he wrote an essay about how parents should be permitted to sell their children. They should be able to raise good kids and sell them out to families who could use them, who could benefit from them, who want children. And just so you know that I'm not misrepresenting the work of Mr. Rothbard, you can find these statements about child selling in his book, Ethics of Liberty. So that sounds wrong. It is wrong. Why is it wrong? The God of the Bible, who has made moral law, again, he's not just the moral law giver, who's the moral law enforcer, he's the moral law communicator, has said that children belong to their parents. They're not commodities to be bought and sold like lumber or whipped cream. There is a spiritual relationship, a family relationship between parents and their children that should not be broken through buying and selling. That's what the lawgiver of the universe has said. If you're ever engaging with a libertarian and you needed to present Christ, here's just one idea. One way to do it possibly is to use the moral argument. The libertarian revealed themselves to be a libertarian. You might say, ah, so freedom is the highest value. They'd probably agree with that. The way you might turn that around to Jesus is to say, ah, you agree then that there are objective values in the universe, like freedom, and that we should all respect everyone else's free choices and our freedom as individuals. If you agree that there are laws in the universe, where do those laws come from? Do they just exist? Did Ayn Rand come up with them? Are they just self-existent? Are they conventions that we sat down and came up with? Did humans ever get together and decide that freedom is the highest value? Likely the person is going to say no. The person, the libertarian, will most likely say, this, it just is. It's just the way things are. Or they might say history has proven this. Possibly they say something like, well, look at North Korea and the old Soviet Union where freedoms were curtailed. And look how miserable that turned out to be as opposed to freedom-loving countries like the United States, Singapore, Canada, New Zealand. If then challenged, one of the things I would do is bring up how if we have these objective laws in the universe and we all act as if they are objective, where did those come from? What is the source of that? Is there anything other than an objective moral lawgiver, a personal lawgiver, that can account for this? And then explain Christianity can account for this. God makes the rules. God makes the laws. He is the highest lawgiver. In the Old Testament, he gives us his law. In the New Testament, he gives us Christ. They're both good. One is much better than the other. The God of the universe can account for the existence of moral laws like the value of freedom. In addition to libertarianism, another erroneous idea from the right comes from a gentleman named Jordan Peterson. He's very popular. You've undoubtedly seen some of his videos and some of his quotes shared on social media. He's the author of the book, 12 Rules of Life, and another book, Maps of Meaning. He is a professor at the University of Toronto, and might have been five years ago, he became very famous when online, he was shown objecting to using folks as transgendered pronouns. He said, I won't do it. This is government-compelled speech. I just won't do it. And in that anti-progressive move, he became popular with a lot of folks who don't like the excesses of progressivism. Jordan Peterson then also, he teaches about the Bible. He gives lectures about the Bible. He's a crusader for some biblical values. He hates the excesses of certain progressivism. Because of that, he appeals to many Christians, many American Western Christians. But when you get down to it, he's not actually a Christian. 
what he is, and this is not my words, this is his own words, he calls himself a Jungian. Carl Jung, analytical psychologist who worked with Sigmund Freud and then broke off from Sigmund Freud when the two had philosophical disagreements. Jordan Peterson calls himself a Jungian. He understands the world, he understands human nature and human behavior and human essence through an analytical psychological viewpoint, not a Christian historical, biblical, creedal viewpoint. He teaches the Bible, and he teaches that because he believes biblical values are useful to human development and human flourishing. He doesn't believe they're true. He believes they're useful and that they would derive some truth by being useful, not because they're self-evidently true. He believes in the Bible because of its utility, but he doesn't actually believe it's true. John 1, Jesus is God. Jordan Peterson would not be down with that. He would not be on that same team. He would say, Christ is an archetype and following him provides so much human value to all of us that that's where the truth of it lies. He's making a practical argument. Jordan Peterson evaluates God and Christianity and the Bible through his union lens instead of evaluating his union analytical psychology through a Christian lens. His view, his lens is different and it's not a biblical one. I appreciate him. I appreciate some of the things he says. If you've listened to his videos, if you've read his books, you've no doubt derived some practical benefit from them. But as Christians, we all not to be sharing his views and saying that these are Christian views or things we should look up to when in actuality, we should be promoting what God has said. The Bible isn't designed to be a rule book for life like Jordan Peterson's 12 rule books. It is the truth. It's not designed to be the truth. It is the truth. And that is where we operate from. If I ever met Jordan Peterson or one of his disciples, somebody who exalts him, one of the challenge questions I would give them is, so you believe that the Bible is ultimately valuable and it has truth in its value. Why not go the whole way and believe that it's true because it's true? If something has the highest value, it has value because it's true. And in fairness to Jordan Peterson, in some recent videos, there is evidence of him admitting that he's considering this possibility. He considers the possibility that the record of the Bible is an accurate one, and it is actually words from God. And I pray that he is truly considering this, and one day he truly believes it as a truth, not just as a useful tool. The last idea from the right, from the political, cultural, American right, that draws folks away from Christianity is QAnon. You've heard the name. You might know what it is. You might not know what it is. There's a very good possibility that somebody listening is a believer in QAnon and is an Anon, a follower. What is QAnon? It's impossible to explain in the 12 minutes I have remaining, but I will do my best. I will be general. This is a high-level explanation. The idea of QAnon is that there's this bad group of people who run the world and try to run the world. It's a group of American Democrats, rich people like Bill Gates, George Soros. Sometimes some folks would say the British royal family or the Bush family, George Bush and George Bush Sr. and Jeb Bush. And that these people are all a part of this cabal, is the word used to describe them, of folks called the deep state. And you'll see this term in American politics. You've seen it in the last few years. What the deep state does is they run the world, they try to run the world, and they're also pedophiles. They kidnap children, they steal children, they assault children, they molest children, 
And depending on how deep into QAnon you go, whether you're just a casual follower or a true believer, you might believe that also these folks take children and then harvest the adrenaline out of their bodies so that they can drink something called adrenochrome. Well, opposing the deep state is God. God opposes the deep state. And he's raised up and has spent some time raising up Donald Trump to fight the deep state. And he's been doing this over a period of years. Donald Trump is the appointed man. He's the one who has been fighting them for years before he became president and when he was president and now after he is president. He is not alone. One of the odd views of the deep state is that the Kennedys, President Kennedy and John F. Kennedy Jr., are also deep state opponents. Where do these ideas come from? Again, that's just the basics. There's a lot of details getting down to very sensationalistic, very odd things. I mentioned how a lot of QAnon believers believe that the Bushes are on the bad side. They're a part of the deep state. There are some folks in QAnon who believe that George Bush Sr. ordered the assassination of John F. Kennedy back in the 60s. Where does this come from? This originally began with a post on a message board online by a gentleman who called himself Q. And it was written to fellow patriots. You can look this up, find his original post. People took that and ran with it. He then posted a few other times and posted cryptic messages about the deep state, about Donald Trump, about Donald Trump fighting the deep state. Whoever this person is, internet troll, started it. Hasn't revealed his identity, but he began it. Then the source of Q is basically a group fan fiction. Let's say you're fans of Star Wars and you sit down, you write different stories about Star Wars using Star Wars characters in Star Wars settings. And you're basing everything you do off of what George Lucas originally created. A lot of QAnon participants are writing the story themselves. It's a little bit like mass fan fiction. And if your idea gets popular enough, it goes viral and other Q people start to believe in it. They sign off on it. They endorse it. They share it. What these folks do is they will take messages from the original poster, again, calling himself Q, the letter Q. They'll take what he wrote and they will analyze it and overanalyze it and find meaning in it. Some of what he writes online is cryptic. And then folks take what he writes and add value and add meaning and add backstory. And it's treated a bit like it's authoritative and it's also a little bit like prophecy where it has to be figured out and deciphered. It's coded or semi-coded. The dates of certain things mean something. The time of certain things mean something. There's numerology involved. Q also claims to be an insider in the government high up who is observing these things from a firsthand level, and he's letting everyone else know what's really going on. That's who he claims to be. Again, if I didn't say earlier, there are levels to this. There are some folks that are true Q believers who participate in the fiction, who help write it, who come up with ideas, something they spend their time on and they believe every single thing. There are other folks who just believe that there is a deep state and that Donald Trump is God's appointed man to fight them. Not everybody believes in it to the same degree, a little bit like progressive theology. Some folks believe in it to some degree and not others. How big is it? The numbers are in the single digit millions. So probably less than 10 million, but certainly more than 1 million. And then to break down which are the, who are the true believers and who are the passive, more distant participants, that's impossible for me to know. I, I just don't know. But it's significant enough that you could very well know a Q believer. You might see a Q bumper sticker. You might see a Q t-shirt. One of the common phrases is, and you'll see this on their t-shirts or their flags, WWG, the number one, 
WGA, which stands for Where We Go One, We Go All. You'll see these flags and posters sometimes in Donald Trump rallies or Republican rallies. What's wrong with this? Can't somebody believe in the Bible, believe in Jesus Christ, that God atoned for our sins through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death, being buried and coming with life again? Can't someone believe in that and also believe that there is a deep state and that Donald Trump is God's appointed man to fight this deep state cabal of power-hungry pedophiles? You can, but you shouldn't. It's not true. All lies in the end are bad. Also, one of the reasons that the Q ideas are such a problem is that it misappropriates the Christian life onto a false plot against a false enemy. Instead of praying for God's glory and praying for God's kingdom to come, if you're deep in the queue, what you pray for is that everybody else in the world would have their eyes enlightened so that they would also be Q believers. Instead of having faith that and trust that God holds the future, you have faith and trust that in the end, God will reveal himself and that the deep state will be destroyed. If you're a Q believer, the primary struggle is no longer against sin and the devil and self-deception. It's against this deep state battle. If you're a true Q believer, truth isn't necessarily centered on evidence. Truth is more based on what Q says or the way you've interpreted what Q has said or what Donald Trump has said in his speeches or not just Donald Trump, but there's other Q, I'll call them prophets. They're not really prophets, but people involved who, who try to co-opt the group. There's a gentleman named Lynn Wood who has done this. So what they say becomes authoritative. That becomes something like scripture. Another misappropriation is you take what Q has posted, his cryptic postings, and you try to find meaning in them like their prophecy. You're trying to divine the future through something that resembles numerology instead of trusting God and walking by faith and not by sight. Another misappropriation of Christianity is that orthodoxy and the Q movement is mostly based on whether you align with Donald Trump or not whether you agree with him and you support his agenda and you support him as a person or you don't. For example, QAnon would have said Mike Pence is a pro-Trump guy and he's fighting the deep state until Mike Pence certified Joe Biden as president after Biden won the election. Then in the mind of many Q believers, four of whom I know, they would say that Mike Pence was a traitor. He's a part of the deep state. Some of them called him a pedophile. There's zero evidence of this. But that's baked into the narrative. Orthodoxy is determined by your proximity to Trump, not by your proximity to truth, revealed truth or truth in the world, evidence-based truth in the world. Another problem with QAnon is that it takes some of the substance of Christianity and turns it into something resembling professional wrestling. John Piper, the pastor of Minnesota, famous pastor, wrote an essay about conspiracy theories. And in the essay, he talked about how one day he preached a great sermon about the glorification of God, calling everybody to come to Christ. He made it in this sermon. He made God as glorified and as honored as he could be. And after the sermon, there was a gentleman in his church who came to him and he just couldn't wait to show John Piper this evidence about some conspiracy he believed in. And John Piper prayed for the man. And later he realized this gentleman is so hooked on the appeal, the saliency, the excitement of his conspiracy that he isn't as excited about the true narrative of the world that God has presented to us. This conspiracy theorist had replaced the gospel with something that was much more exciting and thrilling 
that you can feel that appealed to your base senses instead of to your soul. And that's what QAnon does. If you know somebody involved in QAnon, how do you convince them that the narrative that God has written is the true narrative and they need to ignore and run away from this very exciting worldview that they've adopted? One thing you can do is just ask them for evidence. If they present some QAnon conspiracy theory, maybe ask for evidence. Tell them, I hear you, but I've checked and I've never seen any evidence of that. What evidence do you have? Where is that evidence? Is that in a place where we can all find it? Has it been double-checked by somebody else? Another thing you could do is ask them, because QAnon makes a lot of predictions, ask them which QAnon prediction, which Q prediction has turned out to be true? Which have turned out not to be true? There are quite a few that have turned out not to be true. If someone is presenting you with their QAnon claims, you could ask them, so if Q makes a prediction, how would I be able to judge whether it's true or not? What source would I go to to find out whether that's true? Asking these kind of questions may get them to check their worldview and then maybe offer to them, you know, I found something more exciting, something that explains who I am. I believe in the narrative and the truth of Jesus as God has presented him to us, as God has presented him to the world. And what you're telling me, in a sense, sounds very exciting but it doesn't really satisfy the soul. And with that, we will end. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Ambassadors Forum here on True Talk 800 KPDQ. You can catch us every Saturday morning at 930. All year round, we will be here. You can also find us at theambassadorsforum.com. Thank you.